Hello, welcome to another MLEX podcast. My name is James Paniki. I'm an MLEX senior editor coming to you today from Melbourne, Australia. Thank you for joining us for a special edition of the podcast to mark the publication of the latest special report from our global financial services team. It's a topical report bringing together two of the biggest issues facing financial services and prudential regulators around the world. When it comes to crypto assets, you don't need me to tell you how much is at stake at the moment. The implosion of crypto exchange FTX has brought this issue very much to life as regulators and lawmakers grapple with how best to protect investors. And then there's a question of sustainable finance policies. Bank and insurance regulators know that they can't have a direct impact on the effects of climate change, but they can limit the impact of climate change on financial services. This is all unfolding as we speak, and our in-depth report is available for you to download from our website. Now, as is always the case with our global special reports, the time differences mean that it's impossible to get everyone together at the same time. So I've asked the team to assemble some thoughts on the issues that they've covered and to pass the parcel around, starting from our European Chief Correspondent for Financial Services, Fiona Maxwell, who spearheaded our work on this report. Hi, James. Thanks. So this report really spans a couple of really important and I would say relatively modern topics in financial services. Uh, That's green finance and digital finance. And, you know, you might be thinking, well, what do these two very different topics have in common? And apart from the facts, uh, I would say that they are kind of the newer topics taking up a lot of people's interest at the moment. Um, They're also the newer topics in terms of the bank capital framework. So the questions facing the financial services industry and, and indeed the regulators at the moment is how do banks ensure they are adequately capitalized in the event of well, global warming and also exposures to digital tokens like cryptocurrencies. So starting with crypto, um, the Basel Committee, which is an international standard setter, finalised its rules on how banks should treat exposures to crypto assets from a potential perspective at the end of last year. And actually, the final policy, although conservative, is more lenient than the previous proposals were. So it means banks can continue to have exposures to coins like Bitcoin or Ethereum, but they will have to apply a tougher capital treatment and a new exposure limit in the final policy means they can't have exposures that breach a certain portion of their capital. On the green finance side, progress is a bit slower. So one of the big questions is whether banks can be incentivized to go green. So can they have lower capital requirements for a sustainable investment? It's quite a controversial suggestion as green doesn't necessarily mean prudentially safe but it is actually being explored in the EU at the moment so it's definitely one to watch. Um, In the UK the Bank of England appears to be completely in listing mode at the moment so we'll see where that goes. Um, As part of the digital finance topic in addition to crypto we also looked at how big tech is making inroads into the traditional financial services sector. I worked in a story with Neil, our senior correspondent in the US, so I'll leave him to explain the the US side. But overall, this is really an area where regulators across the globe are saying action is needed now. They fear that big tech companies, which generally means Amazon, Apple, Google and Meta, among some others, will use their technological dominance to offer traditional banking services like even lending or insurance. Obviously, many of these companies are already offering kind of payment services. So you have Apple Pay or Google Pay, but regulators are worried that they could enter the credit space. um, And they say this could lead to anti-competitive behaviour, risk to financial stability and consumer harm. Um, In terms of policy, the UK 
Financial Conduct Authority is planning to develop a regulatory approach in the first half of this year. Um, and in the EU, the signals are very much the same. So I will now hand the baton over to Neil to explain what's happening in the US. In the US, financial regulators' concerns about big tech center on its use of consumer data on payment platforms. These platforms include Apple Pay, Google Pay, PayPal, and Venmo. The lead regulator has been Rohit Chopra, the tireless head of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. He's concerned tech giants with payment platforms will gobble up consumer data to help their other business lines in social media or mobile systems. The growing dominance of a small number of payment platforms that include big tech companies has raised fears they can act arbitrarily against some participants. Chopra has cited PayPal's suggestion last fall that it could fine users $2,500 for promoting misinformation. In 2021, the consumer agency began a study of the impact of big tech's entry into consumer payments. The study is focusing on tech companies' effect on privacy, fraud, and discrimination. The regulator issued orders for information to Google, Meta, Amazon, Apple, PayPal, and Block. The agency plans to release its analysis to Congress in coming months. Pivoting from big tech to climate change, the U.S. is emerging from its slumber to start a light-touch approach after studying policies in the U.K. and E.U. U.S. banking regulators are preparing to give non-binding recommendations to possibly dozens of large banks. These banks will be encouraged to develop what are called climate scenario risk analyses, these are forward-looking exercises that assess exposures of banks and markets under a range of hypothetical scenarios. Regulators have proposed a half-dozen risk management principles for banks that include scenario analyses. The proposal would affect firms with over $100 billion in assets, covering 32 banks from J.P. Morgan Chase at the top to First Citizens in North Carolina. Regulators have said results won't be factored into capital or supervisory requirements. As part of their ground-up approach, regulators' plans defer to bank management in developing scenario frameworks. These frameworks are to be commensurate with the firm's size, complexity, and risks. At the same time that regulators have invited public comment for this proposal, the six biggest banks will be participating in a federal pilot program this year. The pilot is intended to improve banks' and regulators' ability to measure and manage climate-related risks. The firms are to analyze the impact of scenarios on specific portfolios and business strategies. Scenarios will range from one based on current policies to another with net greenhouse gas emissions of zero by the year 2050. The pilot is due to conclude at year end. Now, over to our European Financial Services correspondent, Catherine Carlson in Brussels. Thanks, Neil. 
I've looked at how regulators' focus will be moving to the finer detail of green finance legislation this year, now that some of the major building blocks are in place. Now, when I talk about building blocks, I'm talking about things like disclosure rules for investment, reporting rules for corporates, and the more controversial parts of the EU's green taxonomy, which classifies which activities are eligible for green financing. Now, because those big frameworks are mostly done, this means that focus is moving to the standards that they're going to implement. So not just what you're disclosing, but how you're grading the climate impact of your activities. Those standards are still being developed in the EU, and we saw a first draft set from a body called EFRAG last year, which the European Commission should implement in law this year and next year. Now, the catch is around making these new EU standards match up to international ones. At the moment, the EU and the global standard setter, the ISSB, are going in different directions with their two standards, with the EU planning more extensive disclosure than the ISSB, meaning that companies will likely have to meet separate standards in future. At the same time, foreign corporates are irked by the fact that even their non-EU activities can be captured in EU green legislation. One of the more contentious pieces of law at the moment is called the Corporate Sustainability Due Diligence Directive, or CSDDD. And under that law, corporates need to identify and mitigate adverse impacts to the climate or people across their supply chains. The law is still being negotiated, but as it stands, even the non-EU activities of non-EU firms can fall in the scope, and firms could need to report on these activities, which could cause some major headaches. As well as the global dimension, ongoing green finance issues in the EU are not going away. Greenwashing, the practice of selling a product based on environmental credentials it doesn't actually meet, is in focus more than ever after a raid on the asset manager DWS last year over suspicions of the practice. And the EU's markets regulator ESMA has opened a call for evidence into greenwashing, meaning it could be on regulators' agendas for the finance sector pretty soon. And now it's over to our financial services and financial crime correspondent, Phoebe Sears in London. Thanks, Katie. Uh, So moving on to crypto assets and the story that everyone's been talking about, the FTX bankruptcy. I'm going to talk a little bit about how that's impacted efforts that were underway to regulate crypto assets. Particularly, I'm talking about unbacked crypto, not uh, stable coins. So a quick recap. FTX, formerly one of the world's largest crypto exchanges and valued at more than $30 billion, uh, filed for bankruptcy in November. US authorities have charged its founder with fraud and reports of all sorts of gross mismanagement of customer funds have emerged. Uh, The exchange itself also had huge liabilities, but most of its assets weren't very liquid. Uh, In fact, a large chunk of its assets comprised uh, the FTT virtual currency that the exchange itself issued. But FTX was able to pull the wool over the eyes of very sophisticated and high-profile investors like SoftBank, as well as everyday retail clients like you and I. And that was because there were no rules in place around transparency and reporting. So today, we still haven't got frameworks in place to regulate crypto assets in most countries. It was probably helpful for lawmakers that they had the kind of evisceration of FTX to pour over now as they're finalising or kind of working through the regulatory regimes for crypto, rather than something of this scale comes after their rules have been finalised. The Financial Stability Board, which coordinates international policy on financial issues, has said that uh, FTX needs our attention. First of all, there are kind of obvious responses to how to deal with something like this. You know, what went wrong at FTX? Crypto businesses need to have governance rules. They need to have transparency and reporting requirements like traditional financial firms do. There should also be prudential requirements, uh, procedures for managing conflicts and dealing with complaints. 
But FTX has also signalled vulnerabilities that were allowed to happen in the crypto sector because it's unregulated and to which there are no obvious answers. One that has been highlighted is what you might call uh, bundling or integrated business models, where one company, typically an exchange like FTX uh, was or like Binance is now, is where you see one legal entity issuing a coin, trading in different coins, offering custody services uh, and lending uh, coins. These are all activities that in traditional finance are kept separate. And that's because there are concerns around uh, conflicts of interest and increased risk when all of these things are taking place together. So this is an issue that regulators are really grappling with, uh, particularly because it is, the bus- it is the business model of most large crypto firms. The UK has only very recently come out with their proposal to regulate crypto assets, and they are still on the fence about how to treat these types of kind of crypto conglomerates. The EU, which finalised its regulation on markets and crypto assets before FDX uh, fell apart, appears to allow this kind of thing. Other issues that have come up are uh, compensation. Should consumers have access to a backstop when crypto firms fail or kind of is the sector so intrinsically volatile that so long as the risks are clearly signposted, it just doesn't make sense to have to bail these firms out, presumably at the expense of more stable financial services sector businesses and ultimately the consumer. Uh, Other concerns include how to deal with regulatory arbitrage, uh, with a sector that is wholly online, global and fragmented. FTX, it was incorporated in Antigua, but it moved its head office from Hong Kong to the Bahamas, citing an improved regulatory regime there. How, for for example, should regulators treat, say, an EU citizen uh, that approaches an offshore-based crypto exchange to invest with it uh, when that exchange hasn't actually been actively targeting the EU? This is an issue called reverse solicitation. Uh, And with crypto enthusiasts getting so much of their advice on YouTube or Instagram, it's not clear how regulators are going to deal with it. Uh, You know, while the EU might have a brilliant regime for crypto firms based there, if their citizens are only interested in investing with a firm based in the Bahamas, which isn't subject to the EU laws, is there anything they can do about that? Um, There's a whole host of questions that the FTX bankruptcy has thrown at regulators. Uh, I think a lot of them are unanswered for now. Uh, But I think this year we're going to see a lot more signposting from the Financial Stability Board as the policymakers work it out. Now, let me hand you over to Jet Demarzo Santos, MLEX's Southeast Asia correspondent who's in Jakarta. Thanks, Vivi. So here in the Asia-Pacific region, along with our correspondents in Tokyo and Seoul, we looked at where crypto regulations might be headed in the region's four main financial hubs. So broadly speaking, these four jurisdictions, Singapore, Hong Kong, Japan, and South Korea, uh, they've taken different approaches to regulating the crypto space. But when we looked at the range of policies and plans and proposals they've recently announced, we realized we'll probably see some kind of convergence on key regulatory areas. What do we mean? First, Singapore was once seen as uh, the most crypto-friendly haven in the region, but it has been tightening its regulations, and it's even been accused of sending mixed signals. On the other hand, its rival, uh, Hong Kong, it's now reversing its extremely stringent approach, uh, which had turned off several crypto firms in the past. Last October, just a few days after Singapore outlined its plans to limit retail trading, Hong Kong announced that it was planning to start giving retail investors access to virtual assets. Now, Japan, like Hong Kong, it's also recalibrating. Japan used to also be a regulatory trailblazer, but um, a string of major crypto breaches and fraud cases had turned it into a risk-averse nation. Now, 
it's opening its arms to stablecoins because it also wants to attract fintech entrepreneurs again. On the other hand, South Korea's government, which is reeling from last year's devastating crypto crashes, it's now scrambling to find ways to impose tighter controls. So it seems as if they're going in different directions. You, know, you have Singapore and South Korea tightening on one hand, while Hong Kong and Japan are recalibrating their overly stringent policies. But if you look closely and pay attention to the details, you'll notice that uh, these regulators are converging around the same key issues. They're all aiming for a comprehensive licensing framework. Second, they're all strengthening their guardrails against money laundering and other financial crimes. And third, they're all looking at protections for investors, especially retail investors. But at the same time, they all say they recognize that the space, you know, Web3, blockchain, these are integral to the future of finance. And so they all want to make sure that financial innovations can continue to take place. So that's our Asia-Pacific wrap. And now it's back to James in the studio. Thank you, Jet. Jet DeMaza-Santos there, MLEX's Southeast Asia correspondent, who, along with Jenny Lee in South Korea and Toko Sekiguchi in Japan, contributed to this special report. A special report which is eminently downloadable. Our address is mlexmarketinsight.com. That's M-L-E-X marketinsight.com. The report will appear on a banner on the front page. But you can also click the News Hub tab, which will guide you towards the full archive of special reports. And there will be plenty of weekend reading for you there, no doubt. Now, over coming weeks, we will also be publishing a special report based around our exclusive interview with Australia's top antitrust official, Gina Cascotlieb. So expect another additional podcast to appear in your feed very, very soon. And that's where we'll leave things for today. The podcast was produced and presented by me, James Paniki. It was published thanks to the kind intercession of MLEX's marketing team in London. And the podcast's executive producer is Richard Thompson. From everyone here at MLEX and LexisNexis, thank you for your company. I hope you can join us again next time. Bye for now. Bye for now.